Good morning and woof. <laughs> so thank you for the invitation for me to be. Can you guys hear me? It's coming through. Thanks for the invitation. As I was preparing this, I realized that um, one way to guarantee that no one will hear what you have to say in your sermon is to invite about 50 animals to church. So I am going to try to keep my comments brief today, but I do want to invite some reflection on scripture and animals. Turns out, uh, when I was doing my research, I realized there are no cats mentioned at all in the Bible. Does anybody have a cat? But here's even, here's even worse news. Of the 46 times that dogs are mentioned, not one of them is in a positive light. Dogs are stupid, ferocious, and dirty. They are compared to evildoers and, so ladies, I'm so sorry for this one, stubborn wives. They are seen to associate with sorcerers, murderers, and idolaters. But perhaps worst of all, they are actually accused of eating their own vomit. Having a little puppy, I can attest to the truth of scripture on this account. However, I feel it was uncouth to include it nevertheless. So I decided to broaden my search for animals in the Bible in general. And what I found is that there are actually tons of animals mentioned in the Bible, far too many of them for us to note today. Most of the animals written about in the Bible were, of course, those that were widely known in the ancient Near East, but are still very much known to us today. But some other animals that are mentioned are mythical type creatures, like the sea monster Leviathan we referenced in the psalm today. I also found that very often, whether real or mythical, animals have a symbolic meaning in the Bible. Leviathan, for example, symbolizes the sea and the powers of chaos. On the other hand, we might recall the dove that symbolizes peace in the story of Noah and the ark, but also the dove that symbolizes the Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus. Other animals, for example, sheep and goats, are used by Jesus to symbolize faithful and unfaithful servants of the gospel. Some, uh, excuse me, the sheep are faithful because they're docile and obedient, whereas the goats are unfaithful because they're stubborn and disobedient, and so on. But here was the most interesting thing I discovered. Perhaps the most famous biblical animals known to us of all are actually not in the Bible. I'm thinking, of course, of the ox and the donkey next to the crib in the birth of Jesus. We are so accustomed to seeing them in the manger scene under our Christmas trees that we've all just come to assume that they are mentioned in the Gospels, but in fact, they are not. So how did they get there? Where did this tradition of ha having animals side by side at the birth of Jesus come into being? Actually, the earliest depiction of ox and donkeys surrounding Jesus in the crib comes from a 6th century Palestinian icon of Luke's infancy narrative. That's his narrative of Jesus' birth. Now, the English word manger comes from the French manger, which means to eat. And that's because the manger is the place in the farm where the animals would come to eat and to rest at night. And both of these words are a direct translation from the Greek, petoamai, which also means to eat. So the manger is the place where the animals would come in at night, where they would eat, and that is where Luke tells us that Jesus was born. However, this tradition of depicting animals at Jesus' crib was not popularized until the year 1223, 
Does anybody know who popularized it? It is the uh, feast of the patron we celebrate today, St. Francis. He was the first one who decided to stage a scene of Jesus' birth in little statues in order to teach the poor and the illiterate about the birth of Jesus. And he decided it would make sense to include the animals in the manger, assuming that that's where they would be eaten. So strangely, in Matthew's birth story of the uh, birth of Jesus, we find that Jesus actually isn't born in a manger. He's born in his house. The complexities of that will have to wait for my Advent sermon. But trust me for the moment that we have a bit of a discrepancy between what Matthew tells us and what Luke tells us about the place of Jesus' birth. Only Luke places him in a manger. So why might Luke have given us this detail? St. Francis seems to have figured it out when he staged his manger scene back in 1223. It seems as though Luke wanted his readers to recall an ancient prophecy from the book of Isaiah. And that prophecy goes like this. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel, my people, does not know. They do not understand. Finally, the Bible is saying something good about animals. Isaiah is telling his people that animals recognize their creator even before we humans do. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. And while Luke does not mention the animals themselves, he very clearly places Jesus right at the center of where he knew they would be eating their meal. So when we talk about our beautiful little furry companions that have joined us today, we are actually touching upon something central to Luke's birth story about the epiphany of Christ. The meaning of the word companion comes from a composite of two Latin words, the cum, which means with, and pan, or panion, which means bread. So a companion is one with whom you share bread along the journey of life, one with whom you eat and with whom you share your living space. Now, Isaiah and Luke recognized something that too many other biblical authors, much to my chagrin, did not. That these companions with whom we share our bread and our home can teach us something very real about the presence of God. Now, the earliest Christian monks of the Egyptian desert understood this gift of companionship with animals as we see in the writings of one very famous Abba Zantio, who said this, My dog is better than I am, because he loves and does not judge. How many of us who share our home and our bread with our furry companions know this to be true? How much they love without judgment, how much they live in the present moment, how much they are able to soothe and heal us with their very presence. And are these not, after all, the qualities that we strive for as Christians? This is something Francis understood well. 
And not only do they often reflect God's presence more readily than we do, but like true companions, they invite us into the joy and the beauty of that sacred presence with them. The blessing that we celebrate here today recalls the most ancient covenant that God made not only with humanity, but with all the creatures of the earth. This is the covenant he made with Noah. It is a reminder to us of something St. Francis always preached, that we are in relationship with all creatures with whom we are brothers and sisters. So in closing then, I don't want to exclude our little companions from this sermon. While they will not understand all of these silly human words that go back and forth between us, they do understand the language of love, and for that we honor them today. And so my sermon, I think, would not be complete if I did not invite each of us to take a moment to look into the eyes of the companion you've brought with you today and then do and say whatever it is you do and say that says to them, I love you. That is the greatest blessing you could ever give them. And so while we, while we will end our service with the blessing of all these companions as a community today, the love you give them daily is the best blessing they could ever receive. So go ahead, love them, and bless them, and let them know how you feel. Amen and woof. Thank you. Amen.